The next sutta is 6.4.34. Once, when the exalted one dwelt near Savati at Jeta Grove in Anatta Pindika's park, this thought came to the venerable Maha Mogalana, gone apart for solitude. To how many devas is there this knowledge? We have won to the stream, are no more for the abyss, in sureness we make for the awakening beyond. I'll just stop here to uh, comment a bit. Ne? The Mahamogalana, when he was dwelling in solitude, ne? in seclusion, ne? he thought ne? Uh, whether there are many devas who have entered the stream, ne? that means have become an Arya, that means and no more for the abyss, that means they will never be reborn into the woeful plains ne? of the hell realm, the animal realm and the ghost realm. Ne? In sureness, uh, to make for the awakening beyond. That means once a person has become an Arya, then he will definitely become fully enlightened uh, in a few more lifespans. Uh. And the Sutta continues. Now at that time, a monk named Tissa had just died and was reborn in one of the Brahma worlds. And they knew him even there as Tissa the mighty, Tissa the powerful, then the Venerable Maha Mogalana, as a strong man, might stretch out his bent arm, might bend his stretched arm, vanished from Jeta Grove and appeared in that Brahma world. And Deva Tissa saw the Venerable One from afar coming along, and on seeing him said, Come, worthy Mogalana, welcome, worthy Mogalana. It's long since you made this round, I mean, come here. Pray be seated, good sir, here is the seat ready. And the Venerable Maha Mogalana sat down, and Deva Tissa, after saluting, sat down also at one side. Then said the Venerable Maha Mogalana to Deva Tissa, so seated, To how many, to how many Devas, Tissa, is there this knowledge? We have won to the stream, are no more for the abyss, in sureness we make for the awakening beyond. And Tissa said, The four royal Devas, worthy sir, have this knowledge. What? Have they all this knowledge? No, worthy sir, not all. Those four royal devas who possess not perfect faith in the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha, possess not perfect faith in the virtues beloved by Aryans, they know not that. But those who possess such faith, they know. We have one to the stream, are no more for the abyss, in sureness we make for the awakening beyond. And is, is it just the four royal devas who have this knowledge, or do the devas of the thirty-three, Yama's devas, the devas of Tusita, the devas who delight in creating, and the devas who have power over others' creations also have this knowledge? They also, worthy sir, have this knowledge. What, all of them? No, not those who possess not perfect faith in the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, and the virtues. But those who have such faith, they know it. And the Venerable Maha Mogalana approved and commended Brahma Tisa's words. And as a strong man might stretch and bend his arm, he vanished from the Brahma world and appeared at Jeta Grove. That's the end of the sutta. This is one of the interesting suttas which shows how those arahants uh, in those days uh, they had psychic power so they could, they, they could just vanish from earth uh, and appear in the heavens. Uh, and come back in the same way. And you can see like this uh, Deva Tissa, because he was a good monk before, 
then when he was reborn as a deva he had he was very powerful very mighty they, they called him uh tisa the tisa the powerful tisa the mighty uh, so uh, some monks uh, who practice the holy path well uh, when they are reborn as devas uh, they are very mighty and powerful and here uh, it is say, stated that uh, those who become Arya are, are those who have unshakable faith in the Buddha, Dharma and Sangha and they also have perfect moral conduct. Uh. Now perfect moral conduct uh, is not, uh, not all the five uh, precepts. Uh. Uh, if you look at the Aryan Eightfold Path, uh, we have three factors that comprise the Sila section. Uh, it is right speech, right action, and right livelihood. And right uh, speech uh, is uh, abstaining from the ro- four kinds of wrong speech, uh, from lying, from uh, malicious tale-bearing, from uh, uh, coarse uh, words, uh, and from idle gossip. Uh. And right action uh, is to abstain from killing, from stealing, from committing adultery. And wrong livelihood na, is, uh, right livelihood na, is that kind of livelihood na, that does not harm other living beings na, or oneself. Na. So it does not uh, include na, the precept against drinking. That is why in one of the suttas, in the Sangyutta Nikaya, we find that there was one person, but uh, one Sakyan by the name of Sarakani. It seems he, he took to liquor. He must have drank a considerable amount of liquor. And, uh, and yet, uh, the Buddha said that he was, uh, when he died, uh, that he was an Arya. So, uh, these are the four characteristics of uh, Aryana, unshakable faith in the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha, and he has perfect virtue. The next sutta is 6.4.36. Monks, these six are the roots of contention. What six? Monks, suppose a monk be angry, scornful, and he being so, he lives without reverence, with respect for the master for Dhamma, for the Sangha, and he fulfills not the training. And he who lives thus causes contention in the order, and that is to the hurt and sorrow of many folk, to the harm of many folk, to the hurt and ill of devas and men. Monks, if you see this root of contention among you or among others, strive to rid yourselves of this evil thing. And if you see it not, step away to stop its future cankering or arising. Thus is this evil root of contention got rid of, and thus there shall be no more future cankering or arising. Again, monk, suppose a monk be a hypocrite, malicious, or envious, mean, or deceitful, crafty, or evil-minded and wrong in view, or view-bound, tenacious, stubborn, and if he be any of these things, he lives without reverence, respect for the Master, Dhamma and Sangha, nor fulfills he the training. And he who lives thus causes contention in the Sangha, to the hurt and ill of devas and men. 
Monks, if you see these roots of contention, strive to be rid of these evil things. And if you see them not, step away to stop its future cankering or arising. Thus are these evil roots rid. And thus there shall be no future cankering or arising. Verily, monks, these are the six roots of contention. That's the end of the sutta. Here the Buddha is saying that there are certain qualities uh, that if a monk possesses, uh, it leads to contention. Um, these are unwholesome traits or habits. Uh, the first one is being angry or scornful. The second one is being a hypocrite or malicious. The third one, envious and mean. And then deceitful and crafty. And then evil-minded and having wrong view. And then view bound, that means having too much views uh, and being stubborn and tenacious. Uh. And it is not easy uh, for people uh, to live together, uh, for example, in a monastery. And there are some people uh, who are unaccommodating, uh, not willing to change their bad habits. Uh. Such people uh, cannot live in a monastery with others uh, because um, if you allow them to live uh, with others, eh, they will cause contention and fights and quarrels. Eh. So such people, eh, if they are not willing to change their habits, eh, not willing to accommodate other people, eh, allow for other people's faults, etc., then it is better that they live alone. Uh, not all people eh, can live under the same roof eh, with others. The next sutta is 6.4.37. It's also quite a good, important sutta. Once when the Exalted One dwelt near Savati at Jeta Grove in Anatta Pindika's park, Nanda's mother, the Velu Kandakan lay disciple, founded an offering sixfold endowed for the Sangha of monks with Sariputta and Mahamogalana at the head. Now the exalted one with the deva eye surpassing in clarity the eye of man saw this and addressed the monks thus, Monks, this lay disciple of Velu Kandaka, Nanda's mother, has founded an offering sixfold and doubt for the Sangha. And how, monks, is the offering sixfold and doubt? Monks, the giver's part is threefold and the receiver's part is threefold. And what is the giver's threefold part? Herein, monks, before the gift, he is glad at heart. In giving, the heart is satisfied. And uplifted is the heart when he has given. This is the giver's threefold part. And what is the receiver's threefold part? Herein, monks, they are lust freed or stepping to cast lust out, are hate freed or stepping to cast hate out, are delusion freed or stepping to become so. This is the receiver's threefold part. Thus the giver's part is threefold, and the receiver's part is threefold. Thus verily, monks, the offering is sixfold and doubt. Monks, not easy is it to grasp the measure of merit of such a sixfold and doubt offering, and to say, thus much is the yield in merit, the yield in goodness, making for a lucky hereafter, ripening to happiness, leading heavenward, leading to weal and happiness, longed for, loved and lovely. Verily, this great mass of merit is reckoned just unreckonable, immeasurable. Monks, as it is not easy to grasp the measure of water in the great ocean and to say, there are so many palefuls, so many hundreds of palefuls, so many thousands of palefuls, so many hundreds of thousands of palefuls, 
for that great mass of water is reckoned unreckonable, immeasurable. Even so, monks, it is not easy to grasp the measure of merit in a sixfold endowed offering. Verily, the great mass of merit is reckoned unreckonable, immeasurable. That's the end of the sutta. So in this sutta, we find uh, one day the Nanda Mata, Nanda's mother, was making an offering, uh, dana, of food uh, to Venerable Sariputta and Mahamogalana and the Sangha of monks. And from far away, the Buddha, because of his psychic power, he saw this and he told his monks uh, that this offering that Nanda's mother was making uh, has six qualities uh, and because of these six qualities, uh, the merit is immeasurable. First, the giver's partner, the giver before he gives the offering, uh, he is very happy. He or she uh, is very happy. And while he is, he or she is giving the dana, he or she is very happy. And even after the offering, uh, that person is again very happy. Uh, that means he gives uh, with a lot of happiness in giving, uh, without uh, holding back. And then the receiver is either a person who has... Um, abandon or uh, uh, cut off uh, lust, hatred and delusion uh, or a person walking the path uh, to cut off lust, hatred and delusion. In other words, um, that person is either an Arahant or an Arya who is practicing uh, to totally eliminate lust, uh, hatred and delusion. This, uh, sometimes, these three things, sometimes it's called lust, hatred and delusion. Sometimes, lust here would be raga, uh, hatred would be dosa, and delusion would be moha. Sometimes these three things, uh, are slight, there's a slight variation. Sometimes it is uh, uh, greed, hatred and delusion. Sometimes greed is loba. Uh, so here it's mentioned as lust. So if a person gives uh, to an Arya and that person uh, gives uh, with a lot of happiness uh, before the offering, during the offering and after the offering, uh, and then that kind of uh, dana is immeasurable uh, uh, merit, uh, just as the ocean cannot be um, measured, uh, so too uh, the Merit uh, from this offering uh, cannot be merit, uh, measured. Sutta number 6.4.38 Now a certain Brahmin visited the exalted one, greeted him, and after changing, after exchanging the usual polite talk, sat down at one side. So seated, he said to the exalted one, This, Master Gotama, is my avowal, this is my view. There is no self-agency, atakaro, no other agency, parakaro. And the Buddha said, Never, Brahmin, have I seen or heard of such an avowal, such a view. Pray, how can one step onwards, how can one step back, yet say, there is no self-agency, there is no other agency. What think you, Brahmin? Is there such a thing as initiative? Yes, sir. That being so, are men known to initiate? Yes, sir. 
Well, Brahmin, since there is initiative and men are known to initiate, this is among men, the self-agency. This is the other agency. What think you, Brahmin? Is there such a thing as stepping away, stepping forth, halting, standing, and stepping towards anything? Yes, sir. That being so, are men known to do all these things? Yes, sir. Well, Brahmin, since there are such things as stepping away, stepping forth and the rest, and men are known to do these things, this is among men, the self-agency. This is the other agency. Never, Brahmin, have I seen or heard of such an avowal, such a view as yours. Pray, how can one step onward, step back and say, there is no self-agency, there is no other agency? And the Brahmin said, this indeed is wonderful, Master Gotama, etc. And henceforth, till life ends, I will go to Master Gotama for help. That's the end of the sutta. So at the end, the Brahmin took refuge with the Buddha. This sutta is quite an interesting one, because here this man is saying, uh, there is no atakaro. Atta is the self, karo is the one who does. Uh. So here they translate it as no self-agency, uh, no... No self-agency, no self who does. This is something like saying there is no self. This man, this man is saying there's no, such, there's no such thing as a self. But the Buddha, in our Buddhist teaching, although the Buddha said, uh, the, taught the doctrine of anatta, which is normally translated as no self. Actually, that should probably be translated as no soul, because soul is supposed to be something that is permanent, unchanging, uh, that exists forever. Uh, But uh, in the Buddha's teaching, there is a self, but it is an impermanent self. It is an impermanent self. That is why the Buddha said, nah, there is such a thing as initiative, and men are known to use their initiative, stepping forward and stepping backwards, etc. So the Buddha is saying here that there is such a thing as a self. Nah. Probably what he means is it is an impermanent self. Nah. Yeah. So this um, sutta, in a way, shows nah, that this theory of no self nah, was probably not started by the Buddha. Probably during the Buddha's time, there was already such views as there is no self. And uh, so it's just that uh, the Buddha's interpretation is that there is no uh, soul, such a thing, such soul meaning such a thing that is permanent, unchanging, that exists forever and ever. And the next sutta is 6.4.41. Thus have I heard. Once when the Venerable Sariputta dwelt on Mount Vulture Peak near Rajagaha, he robed himself early in the morning and taking bowl and robe descended the hill with many monks in company. Now at a certain spot, the Venerable Sariputta saw a large log of wood and there he addressed the monks and said, See you, reverence, that large log of wood. Yes, sir, they replied. An adept monk, reverences, one to mind control, can, if he wish, view it as earth. Wherefore, there is, sirs, in that log of wood the earth element. Hence, an adept can view it as earth. 
He can, if he wish, view it as water, as fire, as wind, as beautiful, as ugly. Wherefore, there are reverences, the elements of all these things in that log of wood. Hence an adept, one to mind control, can view that log in such ways. That's the end of the sutta. Here an adept uh, means one who has finished his work, uh, meaning an arahan. Uh, mm. The thing, the uh, Pali word is idima. Idima is one who has been, you could say, successful. Uh, because ed, one meaning of ed is success. Another one is psychic powers. Uh, so you could say uh, one with psychic power or one with um, who who has been successful in the spiritual path. Uh. But the Venerable Sariputta, even though he has attained all the jhanas, he is known not to have psychic power. So probably he does, he does not refer to psychic power here. He refers to an arahan, one who has been successful in the holy path. Uh. So he said, uh, an, an adept monk, uh, an arahan, can view even a log uh, as earth or water or fire, or that is heat, or wind. These are the four elements in a physical object. And as beautiful or ugly. Um, this shows that a person who has full control of his mind can do these things. And actually that is why the one-pointedness of mind uh, is very important. Samadhi in the Buddha's teachings uh, is one-pointedness of mind. Is um, The aim of Samadhi uh, is to have control over the mind. And so that, um, as in one of the earlier suttas uh, we read, uh, then a person can view uh, something that is attractive as loathsome, something as loathsome as even attractive. Uh, that is all, because it's all, all these are perceptions of the mind. Perceptions are due to habit and perceptions can be changed if we um, train the mind. Sometimes people say that mindfulness is very important. Mindfulness is important, but by itself uh, it is not sufficient. For example, sometimes a person uh, can know he is mindful, he knows that what he is doing is wrong, and yet he continues to do it. Why? Because he is not in full control of his mind. For example, sometimes a man or a woman uh, may know that to commit adultery is wrong, and yet uh, because um, passion or lust uh, controls his mind, uh, he is not un- he is unable uh, to... Um, to overcome this uh, passion or lust. So the lust or passion controls his mind rather than the mind controlling uh, passion. Uh, Hence uh, the importance of samadhi uh, in the Buddha's teachings. Another sutta, 6.5.44. One morning the Venerable Ananda, robing himself early, took bowl and robe and went to the house of the lay disciple Migasala and there sat down on a seat made ready. And Migasala came and saluted him and sat down at one side. So seated, she said to the Venerable Ananda, Pray, Reverend Sir, how ought one to understand this Dhamma taught by the Exalted One, that both he who lives the holy life and he who does not 
shall become like wayfarers in the world to come. My father, sir, Purana, lived the holy life, dwelling apart, abstaining from common carnal things. And when he died, the exalted one explained, He is a once-returner dwelling in Tusita heaven. My uncle, sir, Isidata, did not live the holy life, but rejoiced with a wife. And of him also, when dead, the exalted one said, He is a once-returner dwelling in Tusita heaven. Reverend Ananda, how ought one to understand this Dhamma? And when Ananda said, Even sister, as the exalted one has said, and when the Venerable Ananda had received arms in Migasala's house, he rose from his seat and departed. Now, uh, stop here for a while just to comment uh, that probably Ananda, Venerable Ananda could not explain uh, to this uh, Migasala. That's why he said, you just remember it as the Exalted One said uh, and left. Uh. Now the Sutta continues. Now on his return from arms gathering after his meal, the Venerable Ananda visited the Exalted One, saluted him and sat down at one side. And so seated, he told the Exalted One all that had occurred, adding, I told her, Lord, to understand the matter even as the Exalted One had, had explained. And the Buddha said, But Ananda, who is the lay disciple, Migasala, a foolish, frail, motherly body with but mother wit, to understand the diversity in the person of man? These six persons, Ananda, are found in the world. What six? Consider, Ananda, one well-restrained, a comely person, in whose company his fellows in the holy life take pleasure, yet in whom hearing Dhamma is of no effect, much learning is of no effect, in whom there is no view penetration, who wins not partial release. He, on the breaking up of the body after death, sets out to fall, not to excel, fares to a fall, fares not to excellence. Consider another well-restrained likewise, but in whom hearing Dhamma has effect, much learning has effect, in whom there is view penetration, who wins partial release. He, after death, sets out to excel, not to fall, fares to excellence, not to a fall, and the measurers measure them, saying, His stature is just this, the others just that. In what way is one wanting, one exalted? And that measuring Ananda is to the measurer's harm and hurt for many a day. Now the one in whom listening has effect, who wins partial release, that person Ananda has marched further forward, is more exalted than the former. And why is that? The stream of Dhamma carries him forward, Ananda. But who save the Tathagata can judge that difference? Wherefore, Ananda, be no measurer of persons. Measure not the measure of persons. Verily, Ananda, he digs a pit for himself who measures the measure of persons. I alone, Ananda, can measure their measure, or one like me. Consider, Ananda, a person in whom wrath and pride are conquered, but in whom greed from time to time surges, in whom hearing Dhamma is of no effect, and another in whom hearing has effect. He, after death, sets out to excel, not to fall, fares to excellence, not to a fall. That person has marched further forward, is more exalted than the former. I alone, Ananda, can measure their measure. Consider one in whom wrath and pride are conquered, 
but in whom the world of words from time to time surges, in whom hearing Dhamma and learning are of no effect, in whom there is no view penetration, who wins not partial release, he after death sets out to fall, not to excel, fares to a fall, fares not to excellence, and another likewise, but in whom hearing Dhamma and learning have effect, in whom there is view penetration, who wins partial release, he after death sets out to excel, not to fall, fares to excellence, not to a fall. And the measurers measure them likewise, and it is to their harm and hurt for many a day. And in whom hearing Dhamma and learning have effect, that one has marched further forward, is more exalted than the former. And why? The Dhamma stream carries him forward. But who save the Tathagata can judge this difference? Wherefore, Ananda, be, more, be no measurer of persons. Measure not the measure of persons. Verily, Ananda, he digs a pit for himself who measures the measure of persons. I alone, Ananda, can measure their measure, or one like me. And who is the lay disciple, Migasala, a foolish, frail, motherly body, with but mother wit, to understand the diversity in the person of man? Verily, Ananda, these six persons are found in the world. Ananda, with such virtue as Purana was endowed, Isidata may become endowed. Herein, Purana fares not Isidata's way, but another's. With such insight as Isidata was endowed, Purana may become endowed. Herein Isidata fares not Purana's way, but another's. Thus verily, Ananda, both these men are wanting in one thing. That's the end of the sutta. Here this uh, lady, Migasala, she was a bit uh, perplexed because the father and the uncle, both when... They died, eh? the Buddha said that they were both once returners, that means a Sakadagamin, second stage uh, fruition person. But uh, one of them eh, was a lay person, the other one was a monk. So this Migasala couldn't understand why one is a lay person, one is a monk, but yet both of them eh, obtained the same, same fruit of the holy life. Eh? So the Buddha said, explain the six types of persons found in the world. And the Buddha said, not to measure another person. The Buddha said, be, measure, be no measurer of persons. Measure not the measure of persons. Verily Ananda, he digs a pit for himself who measures the measure of persons. So here the Buddha is giving a warning that it is dangerous to judge other people especially a person who wears the robe. Eh? It's very difficult for lay people to judge. Eh? So we have to remember eh, to be very careful eh, when we criticize uh, some monks eh? because sometimes you might think a monk has wrong view and he may have right view, uh, especially if a monk uh, practices and eh, keeps the precepts and meditates. Eh? You have to be very, very careful eh, not to criticize such a monk eh, or develop hatred for such a monk. Eh. Uh, in the end, eh, the Buddha said eh, that uh, <coughs> Purana was, uh, although both of them, Purana and Isidata, were once returners, eh, but Purana excelled in virtue, whereas uh, Isidata excelled in insight. So, <coughs> so both of them, they had uh, slightly 
different qualities but both of them uh, are sakata garments.